Let's make sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi melody. Got out. Oh yay, it's me, Rage Master. We're doing the movie Arrival. There you go. I'm wearing pants. Happy everyone. Oh brother, this guy stinks! Sci-fi melody. Symptom 228. Arrival. Pre-Dune. Denis. And post-pants. Rage Master. Welcome back, sickies, to First Contact February, films about Earth's first contact with aliens. And contrary to popular belief, I do wear pants everywhere I go. So, <clears throat> or do I? Mystery box. Does now, after a talking to from HR. Yeah, that's for sure. So, anyway, after we had a really great uh, trekking into the new year, home by Scott, thanks for taking over. And honestly, that was... I think one of the best trekking in the well, I don't know, one of the best. It was I really liked that trekking into the new year a lot more than I thought I would. I guess like because the first time we talked about it, Scott was like, "I want to skip Voyager. I want to skip Voyager." So I had a really bad feeling about that. But going in, I, we had a really good, some really good episodes there. So um, who'd have thought that my angle about. Janeway becoming a psychopath who's unfit for command would have made a good trekking into the new year. Hey, well, it worked. It worked, exactly. It, it led to some discussions where, yeah, we, in a way, we kind of just solidified our positions and who we are, but it was done in a good way. And uh, quite honestly, it, I think we gave Voyager the justice that it earned. <laughs> Ur- the, just, the justice it received was the justice it earned. Good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say deserved. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Let's not say something we can't take back. But now we are back on continuing our alliteration with First Contact February. And this is a film. We're starting with Arrival from, excuse me, uh, 2016. And I, this has been on my Hulu queue forever. I've been wanting to watch this movie, do something with this movie. And then when I thought of this topic, I thought, oh, finally, I get to do this. So uh, the film is actually directed by one of my newest favorite actors, Denis Villanueva. Does anybody know how to say that? You mean director. Director. I said filmed, right? You said filmed by one of my new favorite actors. actors. Ah, excuse me. (laughs) Filmed by one of my new favorite directors, Denis Villa. You know who you are. Don't ask me. I'm Villanueva? not trying. Villanueva, I want to say, but sure, he close is enough. Villanueva is that a anyway? We're not. This isn't linguistic malady. So, uh, he is turning out to be shaping up to be a really good director. I haven't seen Sicario, but I am. It's going good. To, I'm going to see it now. Oh, I I will. I have seen it, and it's very well done. His direction is fantastic, well, and it shows. In this movie, too. Okay, so quick. I know this is going a little bit off filter, but really quick. What is Sicario about? I just saw the title when I was just perusing his other films, and I was like, oh, well, I got to see that now. But what is that about? Uh, Mexico drug dealers. Okay, so it's and, like a cartel war. Uh, between the cartel and the ATF. Oh, okay. Oh, that sounds pretty good. It is. I'm, I mean, it, clearly, Denis kind of cemented himself as a science fiction director with this film and even though it wasn't a critical failure or anything but it wasn't the meteoric 
success that he would later have with Dune. And honestly, uh, the same could be said about Blade Runner 2049, which incidentally, Scott and I both rated as a perfect film. That's right. Scott, you said this. Oh, wait, he's not denying it. I absolutely said Blade Runner 2049 was a perfect film. So for those of you that like Denis, I would definitely recommend this film. Uh, I know I'm burying the lead, so let's just jump into the plot. Uh, Oh, one-minute plot? Yeah, attempted one-minute plot. So in whatever year it is, we meet Amy... um, Jeez, I should really know characters. Amy Grant's character, who it is, Louise. She's a linguist. And these 12 alien ships arrive on Earth at various places throughout the Earth. One's in Montana, another one's on the ocean right near Shanghai. There's one in Sierra Leone, another one in, like, Kenya, another one over the Indian Ocean, yada, yada, yada. Denmark, Japan. And they're all there, but they don't make contact. They just float. Like, what was it, 100 meters above the Earth, something like that? They're not even giving off any kind of exhaust. They're not disrupting the air around them. They're just floating there. And finally, they find a way to make contact, and they bring in Louise because she's a linguist expert. And the Army brings her in because she cracked a Farsi code back in the day working with uh, Homeland and the FBI. And... They get her in the ship so that she could try to contact, make contact with the aliens. And throughout the course of the film, which time compresses, but it takes months and months as she's trying to come up with the language for them to make contact. Meanwhile, all the nations are working together, sort of, to try to share information. The Pakistanis eventually figure out the, how the writing system works. But eventually the Chinese get a little trigger happy and decide that, well, they figure out that the thing they're saying weapon, the aliens are saying the heptopods, as they call them, because they're like octopuses. They're saying weapon. And the Chinese think, well, they're going to give us a weapon, but if they don't give it to us, they're going to use it on us. So they get a little itchy trigger finger. Then Russia gets the same idea. Then the U.S. decides, well, I guess we have to do the same thing if that's how it's going to go. And Louise, in a race against time, runs into the alien ship where she finds out that they are there on a mission from 3,000 years in the future. Our future, their time doesn't work linear like ours because humanity is going to save them. And they need to start that process there. And it starts with her daughter that she's going to have with Jeremy Renier's uh, physicist husband he's they don't know each other at the beginning of the film but and what's interesting about this film is throughout it she sees flashbacks of her daughter but her parents she divorced her her husband left her when she told him about talking to aliens but she buried that memory and the whole thing is it's a woman who doesn't who experiences time in a linear fashion experiencing it out of order like the heptopods do so if you could think of it this way it's like If you look at the uh, totality of your life, it's like looking at an ending part and then the beginning, then a middle, then a beginning, then an ending. And it's a bit hard to follow for her. Whereas the heptopods, this is apparently how they live. Their writing style is in a circle as depicting their mentality. So 
and when we get into the rips and picks, I'm sure one of you guys will be able to answer some of my questions or clarify this even better. But before we do that, let me do the fun facts, and then we'll dive into... Okay. As long as of... I tell you that your one-minute synopsis was three and a Way half. Way over. Way three over. and a half this well, time. The, Failed. You know what? Honestly, with a topic like this, it's really hard to do, so... Oh, absolutely. Um, I just thought... <laughs> I was like, ooh. But we're going to have a little, nice little chat, and uh, I'm sure, Scott, you we will have a few <clears throat> little points he wants to make, too, because I think this is a thought provoker for you, Scott. I didn't ask this ahead of time, but I'm presuming it's a thought provoker for him. So, um, oh yeah, I'm sure there's a deeper meaning that he found. Oh yeah, well, it this, shouldn't be that hard to find because there's definitely deeper meaning. Oh, too. for sure, for sure. So this film is actually based off of uh, Ted Chang's short story called "Story of Your Life," and a couple fun facts about it is that this film was in development hell for a long time because it was considered unfilmable. And then when they finally did it, Ted Chang saw the story and thought, that's what I was thinking of. Interesting fact. Uh, one of the interesting things about the film is that each of the 12 ships is trying to give something to Earth. Because what eventually does happen is Earth does unify um, in time. So therefore, the aliens are trying to unify the Earth by giving everybody some piece of technology to bring them together. And uh, that's what's so misinterpreted, is no one quite understands. For the aliens, weapon means tool or something like that, and we don't quite understand that. And honestly, you could, we could be forgiven for misunderstanding that, especially oh. the fact that these aliens just show up and God knows how their technology works. Technically speaking, isn't a weapon a tool? Well, no, I would I would disagree because what's its design? What's its intended purpose? Um, a gun has one purpose. You don't go around trying to screw screws in with a gun. You don't go around trying to hammer nails in with a gun. You don't use a saw blade to cut wood with a gun. Or you don't use a gun. <laughs> Duh. You don't use a gun to cut wood. A gun is designed for one thing: hurting or killing people. So. If your tool, if the tool of your trade is to hurt or kill people, then I guess you could call it a tool in the colloquial yes. sense. But it's, I wouldn't call it a tool. I'd call it a weapon. Let's just call it what it is. I'm not, yeah, we, we can avoid a long semantic argument on this because it's it, is, it, is. it is, I mean, ultimately, it, it's how you want to classify something. But most tools can be weapons. Most weapons can be tools. That's right. I mean, yes, can you bury a screwdriver in someone's skull and kill them? Well, yeah. Ultimately, whether yeah, a weapon is a weapon or a tool depends on the action taken when using it. So getting back to the, the tool weapon thing is that uh, <laughs> the original ending of Arrival was supposed to be that each of the 12 nations or areas where there are aliens were supposed to get some piece of technology. Uh, hum America was supposed to get some kind of faster than like tra uh, transport. China was supposed to get a life support machine that would like almost create some kind of rejuvenating near immortality and so on and so forth. But the problem is that it created a situation where the film looked way too much like the ending of Interstellar. Yeah. Also, humanity has the tendency not to get along. Well, I I would like to say that given. Compared to where we were, if you look at something like the Holy Roman Empire or Europe in general, how fragmented it was and how much more unified it is. Oh, uh, you're speaking of the long peace. Uh, 
I'm talking about there is no Holy Roman Empire. There's Germany now. So um, what I'm saying is that is it conceivable? Yeah. Uh, only the most bitter of mind would say, no, no, we're terrible people. We're always going to fight and kill each other. It, we also have to consider this. Aliens showed up showing us that we are but one group in the galaxy. So does that mean we'll necessarily unify? No, not at all. Ah, yes. The Roddenberry theory. <laughs> yeah. No. As soon as, as we not. run across it, aliens, we become the butterness no, of ourselves. There is a no way guarantee of that happening, but there's also no way of saying it'll never happen. So my, my pessimistic view of humanity, when humanity encounters something that is different than it, it rarely ever embraces it. <laughs> well, it and normally clubs but it. But this movie actually shows, demonstrates that. It isn't until necessity that they change it, which actually we'll get to that in one of the fun facts. So but the point is they changed that because it looked too much like Interstellar and they didn't want to do that. Too, too similar. Yeah. Uh, Amy Adams agreed to be in the movie within 24 hours of receiving the script. I guess she was really big into it. In fact, Denis wanted her for the role like right out of the gate. Well, she uh, did a very good job. She did. Uh, a whole new language was created for the movie. Uh, the, they use the, along with the creative team that made it, they put together a lo- logogram Bible containing more than 100 different linguistic images so that it would look a little bit, you know, look, uh, authentic. They didn't just make up the symbols. They actually put together something that could potentially work. Uh, there's a strange homage to the film Contact, which, by the way, we will be reviewing later this month. Uh, because this film, if you're watching this thinking, this kind of sort of seems like Contact. Yes. Yes, it does. Moving on. <laughs> uh, okay, no, then. <laughs> there's nothing more to be said. It's good derivative. Good derivative. Yes, exactly. Well, and also, here's, here's your Star Trek reference. Uh... The fact that Montana is the site of the first alien craft, because what happens in Montana in Star Trek, Scott? Uh, that is where the Vulcans land to meet Zephyrin Cochran, who designed humanity's first faster-than-light warp ship, the Phoenix. Exactly. So that's why it's in Montana. And it's in Hokkaido. They, they have a ship in Hokkaido, because in the movie Contact, that's where the aliens first make contact. Is it? Is it... Fitting for the Roddenberry universe that history remembers Zephram Cochran only and nothing for his uh, his assistant, Willie. <laughs> I guess. Roddenberry advanced um, progressive universe, folks. Yep. Never, never in any of its iterations doing justice to women. Nope. <laughs> Not until long after Gene was no longer part of it. <laughs> So, yeah, filming had to be put off until Jeremy Renier finished filming Captain America Civil War because he was the physicist. Yeah, I just keep seeing him as Dr. Hawkeye. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I don't think he's ever going to, at this point, he's known as Hawkeye. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, you're stuck with his role now, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you did a film before you did Marvel now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, you're Hawkeye. He was he was supposed he was in the Bourne movies and it didn't work because everyone kept going. When's he gonna pull out the bow and arrow? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't Jason Bourne use guns or something? Oh, don't remind me. That was a terrible remake. Oh, yeah, ugh. right. Um, Shang in in the movie General Shang decides to call off the Chinese attack on the ship. 
because the uh, Louise steals a satellite phone. She gets his number because she sees in advance. She's in her nonlinear consciousness. Mm-hmm. And he shares his, they're at a meeting and he shares his number with her and says, you're going to need it. Thank you for sharing. And then he tells her what she needs to say to him that changes his mind. And so she calls him using a satellite phone and says something that his wife, that General Shang's wife said to him before he went off to, to the mission. Before she died. Before she died. Thank you. And that's what changed his mind. And the quote, if you're wondering, it was, they didn't say it in the film, so that it would be more profound, but it's, in war, there are, o- there are no winners, only widows. That's what she told him. And because of that, not only would be, how in God's name does this linguist know what my wife said, but it was just a profound moment that apparently changed his mind and had him call off the attack. Which, honestly, as an aside... Well, I mean, it's pretty ballsy of us to attack an alien race, because on one hand, it's like maybe they aren't armed. But on the other hand, it's like, but what if they are? Well, you do have to remember that I think it might be a universal construct of humanity of, you know what? Let's give this a try. I don't care if those Spanish conquistadors have gunpowder and horses and everything. We'll charge them with our little stone. Because I got to figure, let's just say those 12 ships work together to make a giant EMP. It's like, oh, you're floating on a giant uh, aircraft carrier. (laughs) It's a dead hunk of metal in the water now. Thank you. (laughs) And of course, the guns will work. But I'm assuming that if your spacecraft made it through space travel, a bullet's going to be like, (laughs) <laughs> we we went through faster than light travel. You think a bullet's gonna hurt us? Now it Come all does. Now it does depend on how you faster than light travel works, though. Yeah, but I'm gonna presume that they could deal with that, or th- at the very least, they could just travel out of range and be like, "Come on, <laughs> come on." This could be a new segment. Scott rewrites movies for the reality of the world. So in um in in this segment. Dr. Uh, Dr. Louise calls uh, the general and does convince him to call off the attack. However, when he calls off the attack, the president of China, President Xi, orders him to be arrested from the party, and the next man up is ordered to attack the aliens, <laughs> exactly. and they do! Well, and, and that's what happens in the real world. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. You're absolutely right there. That is a, a kind of... Um, Especially being that China's military organization doesn't quite have a centralized command structure, so it would literally be general to general. So yeah, there's a good chance that one general would just pull the trigger. Yeah, and just be like, uh, yeah, we're going to ignore Shang here and go ahead and attack. Cause and thing- we're officially not welcome in the People's Republic of China. I thought we already <laughs> had done that, yeah, but okay. A, why? Because we said that China would attack them, and B... Because I Wait, s- we're there? That, we aren't there already? <laughs> Every once in a while, we get a big hit in China. Really? Yes. That's strange. And then after like two months, we never see anything again. And then well, we get a big, a big amount of listens coming out of China. That's an interesting thing. Hello, China. Hi. Ni hao. Happy New Year. Uh, shall I screw it up forever for us now? No. Please, <laughs> no. please don't. I, I so, think I just did that. Anyway. So, um... Actually, actually, if we were going to make fun of that, I'd make fun of the fact that Chris Nolan really blew it. it 
He created in Dark Knight, the movie that everybody fawns over. It's like, you know, Batman just created an international incident by flying a U.S. plane over Hong Kong. Which, by the way, lucky for you, air traffic, like, Chinese air defense was asleep at the wheel. Because they would have caught that plane flying from miles out saying, leave or you will be shot down. Well, they yes. do that over water they don't even technically own. So, yeah. What you didn't know is that on his utility belt, Batman had anti-Chinese radar spray that he put on the plane. Uh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. You know, let me get back to the fun facts. We only got two more. Amy Adams consulted with a real linguistics professor so that she could get a feel for how this works. Um, Very boring at times. Yeah, well, for me, I, I, you know, I teach a language, so it's interesting. But I could get why someone else would think, like, oh, boy, here we go. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying languages are interesting, understanding them are interesting, but it's also tedious and time-consuming. Yeah. The, the, I like that she went that route, though. It added a realism. Yeah. Verisimilitude that uh, you need for this movie, especially with trying to be the movie that it is. Right. Uh, actually, there's two more fun facts and we'll jump in so liar you lied i did denis actually considered a bunch of alternative test titles for this film such as um well there was the original story of your life um and i can't find another one Uh, (laughs) and uh story of your life though the reason he turned it down is because he said it sounded like a romantic comedy it does which yeah arrival sounds more profound this uh, story of your life would be like I'm not interested in that. Sounds like a rom-com. It reminds me of the story of us on NBC. Yes. Oh. Oh, final point. Arrival's visual style. And I'm bringing this in because I want to hear Scott's view of why they did this. Arrival's visual style was described as a rainy Tuesday morning. A bad Tuesday morning. Like when you were a kid on the school bus on a rainy day in your dream while looking out the window at the clouds. I mean, it's dreary. That's a visual style as a... I'm well, sorry. I don't expect much out of a writer's room in Hollywood. I, I'm just saying, I don't. I know of a lot of noir and a bunch of other. I've never heard of a film style called Rainy Tuesday. Rainy Tuesday I'm, morning. I'm guessing, and I will say that I'm pulling this straight out of my behind. Um, that the that the visual style of a dreary rainy Tuesday morning is to show you. The current state of humanity and the faith that we all have in humanity and its future at the moment—it looks dreek, uh, dreek, dreek. <laughs> it looks, it looks dreary and it looks bleak. Started from the media until the main. Uh, it looks damn terrible. It looks uh. currently, if you look at the future of humanity, it, it doesn't look so good. Uh, you're, you're having a resurgence of nationalism. You're having a resurgence this of protectionism. That, I know. But if you look at even then, you could see start of the retrenching of globalism going on. Even at that point in time, the, uh, the headwinds that were going to lead to this were already were right. already there. Right. Um, the future of humanity doesn't look so great. And and you know, if I had to look at it today and guess, it does kind of look like a rainy, crappy Tuesday morning. So I mean, the, these aliens are here to pull us out of our rainy day period epoch of humanity and show us the 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 bright, sunshiny Brady Bunch future that's ahead. But you know what I find interesting about this film? And this is a good thing. That's my job. And this is a thematic topic, I guess you could say, is that the aliens came here not because they wanted to make first contact or they wanted to do the Vulcan thing or they didn't conquer us. They came here because they needed us. 
Oh, it's as self-serving as it gets. And, and, but what's interesting is that because they exist in non-linear time, which I guess we'll have Scott explain that one. I don't know. But because they live in non-linear time, they don't, uh, they, they don't show up. They can see when humanity, the moment when it came together. It's kind of like, I can't imagine what it's like being born into the conclusion and then knowing the beginning, knowing the solution, but having to go back before it. It's, it's kind of like watching Back to the Future from the ending. And that's kind of what they do almost. They get there and, but, but it just begs the question like, okay, they knew this was going to happen, but somehow they knew humanity was going to be the one to pull them out of it. Well, well this is, again, if you're non-linear, you're, you see everything. You see the beginning, the end, but there is, everything has happened and will happen. There is no, it's self-determined. That's true. And you, so you know that. Right, you know you have to go to Earth so, you, because yeah. you already went to Earth. And they knew it was like a suicide mission, too, because when she went up to talk to him, she's like, where's... Because there was two aliens they were talking to the whole time. And they Abbott. named him Abbott and Costello. And she was like, where's Abbott? And his answer was, he began his death cycle or he began his death process. Because they knew that as soon as they succeeded in their mission, they were just going to disintegrate because... And we don't know why the aliens were dying off. That's yeah. this is an example, by the way, of a good mystery box. <clears throat> yes, I've said it before many times. The reason it's okay here is because we don't need to know how humanity saves them. It's not that's not the focal point. The focal point is that humanity—they're putting humanity on the path to one day get to that point. Yeah, how for, they save we don't need to know. For all we know, the aliens could have come across reruns of the Jersey Shore uh, a couple thousand years later, and it destroys their entire society. Yeah, and that's how they end up all yeah, dying. And they off. decide we got to make sure that these people don't recreate Poly D in the situation. Right. So nonlinear time. I, I've always kind of liked the concept of nonlinear time, but it's. I think I have more of a problem grasping nonlinear time than I do infinity. The concept of an infinity is supposed to be one of the harder conceptual things to grasp. We know what it is, but if you actually try to think about infinity too long, it should be something that we can't get our head around. Well, I think it's because we live in linear time. We think in linear time. We write in linear. Everything we do is so much dedicated to linear time that it's very much a part of us. Well, and here's the thing. I often... I'm going to do a biblical analogy here because if anyone, anyone who is religious, you know, you, you hear the first question I remember really asking my pastor and my parents is, how was God always here, never born, always will be never ending? You know, there's never a time before God. There's never a time after God. There's never a time. How is this possible? And the only question, the only answer that I ever got to as I thought and thought and thought that made any sense to me is, that God is a being that exists outside the constraints of linear time. That's correct. Time is a concept and a construct that is limited to human beings. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. If you were to give, just imagine that I had the option to let you see everything that was going to happen tomorrow when you woke up and get it all at once. How would you know how to move through the day? How would you know if you were at the moment in time that was... 8.30 when you're making your coffee or 
6 p.m. when you're taking the dog out. Which is an interesting... How would you know where you were at the moment? How would you know the order that it was in? Which is an interesting point you bring up because throughout the film, we see a lot of what we believe are flashbacks. And in some degree, they are. But in other degrees, they're showing her future. Because she did at one point have a daughter that died of cancer and the father left after she said something that was just apparently too crazy for him. And we did have... I think I know what that is. I think... We're seeing the future and what she's mixing the future and the past. Yes, but what I think she said was, I know our daughter that we are at the time when we first met and got together and married and everything. I knew we were going to have a daughter and she's going to die of cancer. Yeah, but she also knew. Well, she didn't figure that out until the end, though. But yeah, but she keeps thinking she says, who is this child? At one point, she's talking to the alien. She doesn't know who the child is. She's just getting visions of this. Well, that's why I think what chased him away. Well, and thought. the weird part is, too, though, because it could have been a separate daughter because the separate daughter is like mommy and daddy talk to aliens, which could be the daughter in the future. But at the same time, there's the scene where um, the so she has the girl, she has the daughter and the daughter dies of cancer bef- after the father's gone. Or no, the scene I'm thinking about is the girl comes up and says, I'm looking for a word that's scientific that means working together for half of what you want and she said if you want science go ask your dad so it made me think maybe there was a daughter a daughter before and this guy that ran away but in her memory she's confusing future husband who was a scientist with husband that left but now I could be completely wrong about this, but that's one possible. My interpretation okay. is that every single one of these things that we think is a flashback is a flash forward because they ask her if she's pregnant. She says no. And I think that's establishing the table that this is a, a woman who is not pregnant, does not have a child. It's not supposed to. It doesn't have to. But I think that thematically, these are all flash forwards to the same child. And you get to the point where the reason that the dad Hawkeye goes away is when she tells him. Because he knows she can see everything. She's got it all. That could be. And could she be. tells him she's going to die. And that's when he says, she said I made, he got angry and said I made the wrong decision. Knowing that they would bring that child into life to die of cancer young and the pain that it would bring, Hawkeye dad doesn't think that the right decision was to bring her into the world. Louise believes that it was the right decision. And this is another problem with nonlinear time. Well, actually... She that's also could be part of the nonlinear linear time thing is she it's happened. She already brought this child into the world. The child's already going to die. She already has died because of nonlinear time. So it is what it is. Well, she has to have the child. She has to. There's nothing you can change. I don't think so. And I don't think that's the message that this film is giving us. Now, you could be right. But here's here's the thing with nonlinear time. Okay. Just because you're getting the events all at once doesn't mean that in a moment you can take a different path. If you see the events ahead based on the path that you're taking now, you simply see what will unfold if you continue taking the path that you're on. But if you retain free will, you can take another path. And the reason that I'm saying that I think this movie is arguing that she had the choice to have the child or not is that she says... If you knew how it was, if you could see everything in your life and how it was going to unfold, would you do the same things? Would you take it all knowing the pain that was going to come? And and this is, you know, the Scott's deep meaning part of it. This is something that 
honestly, let's talk about the fact that God created the universe and God created humans. And why would God limit us to, to linear time? Because I don't think we can handle it. I, you know what? I don't I, think we would choose to avoid pain at all costs. And the thing is, this is a simple, basic philosophy, sociology 101. You can't know true happiness until you've known pain. And you can't know true pain until you've known true happiness because you have to, con- you have to contrast them against each other. And if... if God created us, and he, he gave us the same sense of nonlinear time that God has. Um, I don't believe that the mortal mind could function around that, knowing that, that this choice I make today, I mean, here's the choice. She can have the joy of this daughter and all the joy and happiness that that will bring her for however long her life is, plus all the joy and happiness that her daughter will have and all the positive impacts that that daughter will have on the world. But she knows how it ends and she knows all the pain that comes with it. How many of us are strong enough to take the pain knowing? You know, Garth Brooks' song, The Dance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. It's the same concept here. The difference is... You know, where Garth says, I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end, Louise knows how it will end. And that's that's why I think linear time is something that we're limited to and that we can't understand everything that comes, why it's hard to get your hand around the concept of, of nonlinear time and still being able to make choices even though you're seeing every event that will happen in your life at the same time. How do you reconcile free will to knowing how it's going to, these are all the questions people wrestle with with God. Now, you just mentioned a point about seeing ahead and knowing what to do. That defends my point as well, because if you could see both forward and backward, how do I know you don't, for, you don't confuse the two daughters? Case in point. Scott, you're going to have a daughter. Let's say uh, she's, she, you know, uh, come March, Sarah gives birth. Everything's cool. Then you get, after that, you get your uh, omnip- omnipresent knowledge you could be looking ahead now you could be looking back holding your baby in your arms and then you could suddenly get a memory looking ahead of i don't know your daughter working at some company or getting in a car crash and you think oh my god my daughter's gonna die in a car crash that might be a different daughter altogether and you wouldn't know because you're existing in both past and present but you're missing that middle link so you don't see your daughter, the first daughter dying, you see the second daughter, or not I have the car, a, I have not a the car short... crash. Hang on. So you see your daughter, another girl saying, dad, how are you? And she's like running a fortune five fortune 50 company. And so you think the, then you think back to the little baby all of a sudden and go, she's going to be a fortune 50 boss. When in reality, no, actually she's going to die a year later. You're going to have another daughter. And that daughter is going to go become it's possible because if you're missing that vital middle link, you're going to go by what, you know, which dovetails back to what you said, which I was going to say the difference between God and us is God is not only omnipotent or omnipresent, but he's omnipotent. He has eternal knowledge. So he knows how to fit the pieces together and keep it all together. So he could do linear, nonlinear together. We could not. God doesn't need time to organize. Right. And that's the whole we do. point. Not but, to, you know, not, to I get, had... not to get too out of whack here, but this is why I'm not super no. big in the the young earth, because you're trying to say that when God says a day or something or a yom, which could also be considered 
period, what's a day to God? The Bible says it himself. A day is to God like a thousand years or a thousand days and a thousand days is like a day. It, to him, well, it doesn't exist. Let's. Uh, I mean, so we're not going to get. No, down I could go. I could go down a rabbit hole. That, go and I'm not going that. to. But, but the point is, the point <laughs> is that's where we say because he has eternal knowledge, because he's existing in all time. For him, he could be both linear, non-linear, and grasp the whole picture. Like you said, though, Scott, if you gave us omnipresent time memory, it'd be like trying to pour Lake Erie into a pitcher. Well, how about this? Work. How about this? I have, uh, look, we all know I'll never get around to it, so it's probably either already been written or maybe somebody else will. I have a short story hook. Came up with a couple of them. And the concept is if time, the high concept is if time travel's possible, where are they all? And the solution I came to that is they're all insane and they've become raving lunatics. Uh, <laughs> pun intended. But here's We're all time travelers. The first time, and it deals with some form of quantum entanglement is how I would get to this point, and memories being tied through quantum entanglement. But let's say that I jump into the future, and I want to see what's going on in the future. And I see a future based on the events of today where I will have three children, and each of those children will have grandchildren. And when I get to my future, I've met my children and my grandchildren. Now I jump back in time. I've also seen in that jump forward that um, the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl in 2028. Ah. So in 2028, I make a nice bet on the Cleveland Browns like Marty McFly. The problem now is, is that I have now changed events. So now I have a memory in my head that has happened because I've jumped forward and that memory is entangled in my head, but I've changed it now. And memory being quantum entangled, the future now, I have two children. And five grandchildren. But the grandchildren that are there now are not the grandchildren that I remember seeing and meeting. So I jump back in time to stop myself from placing the bet in the Cleveland Browns. Which has restored the time, but it's changed it slightly. So now I have four children, but I've still lost the third child that I remember. And it's a different child. And now I've got four different realities in my head. And the more I try to go back and fix it, the more I change and break reality. But I can't tell the difference because all of those are quantum entangled in my brain and now i'm trying to remember i have let's i have a child that no longer exists did exist i brought back i brought out of existence and they're all and i can't tell and at the moment now since i've quantum entangled into the future every single time an event it keeps shattering and it leaves me unable to communicate in a blithering mess and, and that might be in my mind once you start traveling through time. If there is a quantum entanglement, I don't understand it. I'm an amateur physicist, which would make it a crap writer. I'm not even an amateur physicist. I'm an amateur science fiction um, technobabalist. But that it's, would be the hook to that, a, which would work kind of like nonlinear time. You're a, seeing all the changes that happen. And every change you make, you've brought in a new reality and taken the old reality out. But you still remember it because you see it all and you've already seen it all, but it's still there only as a memory. And how your memory plays havoc with you. Imagine if you had multiple memories of multiple futures and past that may or may not actually exist. And this is where nonlinear time is not something a mortal person could handle. So it sounds like they're not so much insane as much as they are just horribly, horribly confused and can't keep track anymore. And that's why they appear insane because they're too busy trying to figure out, wait, where am I? What's going on? What happened? Correct. They really don't know. 
it's they're they're a sane person trying to put together a crazy situation and they just can't keep track they're overwhelmed correct and with non-linear time that probably would happen to you yeah i agree in fact during your whole thing uh during your whole spiel there it made me think of something what if general shang also exists in non-linear time because he does say i mean he like hands off his phone number he tells her what his wife says it's like he knows what's gonna happen and he's playing his part in that like if i don't tell her this this benefit that we could have of well, receiving I thought, this technology doesn't happen i thought he said i don't know how you got my phone number and then kind of like said it and then also like i don't know how you knew these words yeah but so it was more of those thank you for saying this but i don't know how you knew this yeah but the way it's also framed is that he's just like oh by the way my number's here so it's almost I, like and he's almost like confused like at the time i didn't know but now i kind of know and here it is just in case well, I it, think he might be a non-linear as well. No, I, I he's think just he, confused. No, I think he's still linear, but he knows that she is non-linear and that she now. That's and it's a, almost like she's asking her, herself in that moment is asking her future self the questions that she's there with um, the general that she needs to have. And then sending it back in time to herself. Well, time doesn't yeah, no. exist, but sending it to the, the, the moment at well you can't even define it whatever yeah. back in well, time you know what that leads to two possibilities then then a like i said the general was in non-linear and he doesn't quite get it but he knows there's something or b as you said thomas which is very feasible he is, exists outside of it but he clearly knows she is in it and he's got to play his part and he knows this is how he's got to play his part even though he's stuck in linear time my brain hurts. <laughs> so, uh, no, but that's, I mean, this is what, you know, we, we gosh darn it. We, this is our third episode recently having to a do time with time travel. travel. Yes. Thank you very much. So let's, hey, let's, you, you, this let, time you picked the time travel. I did this time. You know what? Let's move on to a simpler than thing then uh, and do rips and picks. And my first Ooh. pick oh. is uh, I like how they depict people freaking out. You have your Alex Jones type YouTuber. You also have the soldiers who, well, let's be honest. The guy's a little nervous. He's been there for months. Odds are he's heard his wife panicking and his kids panicking. And now he's listening to the Alex Jones guy. And so given the highly stressful situation he's in, or the, the, a couple a couple of soldiers that decide they're going to go shoot at the aliens and blow up a bomb. Which, honestly, there was a bomb with them the whole time, which, well, yeah, that's not a big shocker. But uh, whenever the, they went in to speak to the aliens, they brought a case that happened to have a bomb. Um, yeah, that's, of course they would. Why wouldn't they? you you got to have a safety door, a back door somehow. But the fact that you had a few rogue soldiers go off and do their own thing... They're in a highly stressful, highly mentally compromised situation. They're probably being overworked, odds are. And then they start seeing a video of a guy that says something that maybe doesn't affect them at first, but the more you listen and the more stressed you are, the more you go down that rabbit hole, the more you're willing to adhere to it. I mean, it's basically how, and I don't mean to say these soldiers were in a cult because they weren't, but it's how a cult leader operates. They overwork you so that your mental defenses aren't up to resist them. So maybe these soldiers are otherwise erstwhile 
perfectly reasonable human beings, but given the nature of their situation and the nerves, I mean, let's be honest, these aliens have been sitting here for however many months and they're not moving. They're not doing anything. And these eggheads haven't seemed to gotten anywhere with them. And now I expect an idiot politician to be up there barking orders because that's what they do. They're all worthless half the time. But a soldier, on the other hand, has to operate in action. And if you're sitting there wondering, I'm a soldier and I'm here, what am I doing here? And you're mentally compromised, you're worried about your family, there's a lot of uncertainty with these things. You need an answer. You need orders. And right now the brass is giving you nothing except standby. And then all of a sudden comes a YouTuber. Man, it's an answer. And I'm just and I'm just compromised enough to listen to him. So uh, also, I'm kind of shocked that it didn't happen before because. Well, yeah, kinda. I just by someone else for that matter. Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, months later, and finally, American soldiers. Yeah, you're probably. I mean, they, really they have to let that go on the time compression point, but. But yeah, I mean, it probably would have happened sooner, odds are. Someone, some nation would have gone, you know what, exactly. let's fire a missile and Somebody see what Somebody would have eventually let loose. No, I'm looking at you. Yeah, right. But Well, uh, there goes our Russian viewers. We had any? So, uh, but I would say that it's nice they add that angle because that's, yeah. I mean, we kind of made fun of, uh, remember that Evacuate Earth documentary? Oh, Where there was just a handful of people trying to break in. And as much as I love that documentary, even I have to admit, that's it. Just a handful of people are trying to break in. Everyone else is totally resigned to their fate. Uh, no. These soldiers who are on the ground and could easily just climb in a pickup truck drive over the two-minute drive it takes to get to the ship and start firing, someone's going to crack. Someone is going to crack, and other guys are going to be like, yeah, I agree. Let's do this. I mean, yeah. I love the subtle way that they show that Louise and Ian are freaking out meeting the aliens for the first time. She comes back and she says, am I fired? And he goes, you did better than the last guy. And, you know, they're not... What do the aliens look like? You'll find out soon enough. And the best way maybe is to just throw them into this situation there's a lot going on there i love the depiction of um zero g and how that changes your orientation yeah yep it it made me think of ender's game with the enemy's gate is down and it's usually easier to show that type of stuff in a in a book than it is on film insanely but i thought they did a great job with orient orientation to to gravity when gravity is not a constant oh it barfed yeah uh, which, let's be honest, almost anyone would. Like, hey, let's go on a roller coaster, but let's turn the, <laughs> the dial up down. to 12. Well, and these are people, too, who have, aren't exactly, they haven't been trained as astronauts. They're college professors. Well, not just that, but you also it didn't really give them much warning about <laughs> no, it, it either. It was just, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, and oh, watch this. <laughs> now you. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to end well for your stomach. No. Oh, yeah, inner ear. Um, I do have to also say I did like the film style. Even though it's described apparently as a rainy Tuesday, it's a very interesting film style that isn't oversaturated, but it's also not 
dim and black and de- dreary. Still has color. Still has all the vibrant, you know, ness. But it's also, I don't. How do I explain this? It's not overly exaggerated in ways that is unrealistic, and it sh- gets the point across accurately. Yeah, I'd almost say it, it does the job of setting, um, and, and it it conveys mood. It the the film style of a a dreary rainy Tuesday. Mm-hmm works a lot like a score would to put you in the mindset subconsciously that you're supposed to be in. Yeah. And, and I think it did a great job with that. And I would also have to say the realistic aspect of this was, I would say, pretty much spot on. I mean, it's like, okay, what would happen if this actually happened? Okay, they haven't attacked. They just appeared. The world is currently going to go into chaos, scream, run, military is going to take over, they're going to do all this. And yes, as Mork, the Rage Master, mentioned earlier, nukes would absolutely, and bombs would actually be oh, used. for sure, for sure. In I mean, technically it, speaking, we may have buried a bunch of nukes under European cities during the Cold War, just in case the Soviets took them over. So yeah, we, uh, we have a long track record of, yeah, just in case... Explosives, lots of them. Oh yeah, no. I mean, the fact that they were—I assume the heptapods were tapping on the glass at the bomb, like get rid of the bomb or something. But because then they would show the timer. But the first time they took that crate out, I was like, "Yeah, that's a bomb." And, except, um, except they wouldn't be tapping on it because they already knew it didn't go off. That's that's an interesting point. But I mean, <laughs> the fact that the bomb was there was like, "Oh yeah, that would totally be there." Uh, I don't think this counts as a rip or a pick, just a weird nostalgia moment. Throughout a lot of the movie, I kept flashing back to two books that I read in school. Interstellar Pig, because the heptapod made me think of the alien Manyo, which has a, an inflatable gas head, and they're all chasing this ultimate weapon, mm-hmm. the piggy, and they think they're playing, you know, but I, I flash back to that, and then Hannah. Hannah is a palindrome. Yes. Otto is a palindrome. <laughs> remember, re- that's some short story in our readers. Remember, uh, Hannah is a palindrome. No, I don't remember that. Mm. Well, no. it is a pan- well, palindrome. Well, the, the short story is it's called Hannah is a palindrome, and this kid's making fun of Hannah for being a palindrome, and his name's Otto. And at the end, she gets close. She goes, Otto is a palindrome. You know what's <laughs> funny about that, though? Because that was one of those, well, time is nonlinear. It all comes back forwards and backwards, just like a palindrome. So that's why your name is Hannah, which says Chris Nolan. Did you rip off tenant this for tenant? <laughs> Just questioning. Um, I have a rip, but it's for Hulu. Like oh, Rage Master right. oh, Paramount Plus. <laughs> Go for it. I had to pay for this movie. I had to pay for it on Amazon Prime, only three ninety nine. But I had to pay for it because Hulu wasn't working. I tried oh. to start this movie fifteen times, and all it did was loop. The first four seconds of the movie and the sound effect. So I thought, okay, I'll fast forward through this. It's still looping. Fast forward through it. It's the opening scene where she's holding the baby, and it's just looping the baby, slightly moving over and over and over again. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? I know this is a movie about time travel, and there's some stuff about it, but literally, is the movie stuck in a time loop? And I'm like, I am, I'm going to lose my mind here over this. I'm going to lose my mind here over this. I'm going to lose my mind here over this. I'm going to lose my mind here over this. And after about 30 minutes of trying to get this movie to play, 
logging out, logging back and logging out. I'm like, I hope this is on Amazon Prime. Um, and I can, so, yeah, thank you, Hulu. I don't know what this glitch is. You guys probably are fine. It's probably just my Hulu account or, or something wrong. But for whatever reason, I can watch anything else on Hulu except Arrival. So in simple terms, a movie about circular time had a very circular play a four a second. continual like four second time loop, <laughs> and that's all I could get. Like I was trying to watch, I couldn't sleep last it's night. I had a football it. game at eleven p.m. I got home at midnight. I was all amped up, adrenaline going. I'm like, I'm gonna watch this. I was sitting there, uh, watching the movie, and it was just loading over and over again. I'm like, is this an overture? It was giving you a non-linear middle finger. Yeah, I, at first I really thought it was an overture. I'm like, it's just playing this music over and over and over again on a black screen. I'm like, wow. oh, cool, an overture. And after about <laughs> after about five minutes of that, I'm like, this is longer than Star Trek The Motion Pictures overture. What is going on? Four, four seconds? I'm not past the logo part of the preview for the production studio? What in the world? I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll try this in the morning because it's not working. I'm going to play Total War. I woke up in the morning. I'm like, no way. It's doing this again. Screw this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to stop. I'm going to restart. I'm going to log in. I'm going to watch it from a different channel. No. No. It just oh. stuck in the same four seconds. Okay. So, so streaming services, we're coming for you. Uh, before we finish wow. off Rips and Picks, um, Thomas, you, <laughs> when I said Rip and Pick, your hand went up. So got to know. Or, what was it? Or did I just phase out and not pay attention well i'm i i kind of got it the pick was a lot to do with the design and the score and the overall feel of it because mm-hmm. i mean the feel of it was fantastic oh yeah i guess my rip might be that this military operation is a little shoddy oh well that's a I, I chalk that up to a budget constraint in the film production, but yeah. I'm like, let's be honest. One base camp. Yeah. Not just one base camp, but a base camp that seems it's been months. After a few months of pretty permanent existence here and nothing's changing, you would change it from oh, I don't know, temporary housing to pretty much permanent housing. You're going to pave yeah. everything. And this is now going to be a new military base. It's gonna be even a- after the aliens yeah. leave. Well, guess what? We have a new military base now forever. So not only that, but like the fact that it's only a few. I would have liked if they had shown every once in a while, like a nearby air base, always having people ready to deploy at a moment's notice. Well, not just that, but yes, you should have actually had a no-fly zone. Yes. Active no-fly zone with an actual fighter escort constantly up enforcing it. Right. Also a large area of ground with a no trespassing zone fully patrolled. Right. And I don't know maybe a division or so of soldiers at least instead of this very small group of <laughs> 20 soldiers. people apparently yeah like 20 people 20 soldiers and a couple scientists donuts platoon i'm sorry um, you're going to bring in a lot more scientists <laughs> a yeah a whole lot i felt bad for the farmer i hope he got compensated for the loss of his crop and his land and his oh, property yeah, yeah. and i hope That's they did gone. it better than imminent domain well, That's we gone. think that your farm is worth uh, 16 cents an acre, and your farmhouse here is worth about $37,000. But my estimate is 372 <laughs> I sold my crop last year for half a million dollars. Yeah, we've determined that the depreciated value of your crop now that aliens has arrived is $27. Thank you. Uncle <laughs> Sam supports you. And Scott bringing in the economic buzzkill. Excuse well, me, are you going to relocate me somewhere? 
Uh, nope. That's all new. Uh, you can apply for government aid if you need to. We'll give you to an, uh, a re, uh, try to get you some new employment here. What do you mean new employment? I'm on a farm. <laughs> also, don't worry. Uh, you'll have to fill that out in triplicate. And also, we will give you a bunch of red tape and run around. And you will uh, probably you should get your farm in about I five really to did, ten though. Years. I'm watching. I'm like, I feel bad for this farmer. He's just lost everything. Like, they took over his land yeah. for national yep. security. He has no choice. Scott rewrites this movie for 2021. <laughs> imagine if. Well, imagine I, also, the other one that was like crazy was the one that was like in the ocean. I'm like, of all places you got to land, yeah. the ocean. Why the ocean? Now you've just made there, it worse. It was a than really this. neat coral reef. They, they were on. actually that one was sent to talk to the dolphins and whales, like Star <laughs> uh, Trek. Yeah. 4. Because I'm like, this is worse than the South Taiwan Strait. Now we're going. You're putting a South Chinese Sea, Taiwan Strait. You're asking military, f- you know. You know, not just oh, this is the middle of a country. You're asking for everyone's navy Thomas, to cooperate. Thomas, I know one word: Atlantis. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, now it makes sense. Even though yep. it was in the Pacific. Well, no, because listen, the the aliens, the heptapods, they aren't aliens. They are the Atlanteans. Oh, as okay. they evolved underwater for three thousand years, and now they I need see. humanity to come back and help the Atlanteans who have evolved I, into heptapods. I see. Okay, uh, no, well, no, Scott rewrites one more thing. It's a rip, okay? Okay. When Professor Banks or, or Louise, I think it's Banks, right? Louise Banks? Yeah. When she goes to take off her, her helmet, uh, I don't believe in real life it would go down like that. It would be like, this is a contamination risk. Doctor, you're risking contaminate. Do not take your helmet off. She's taking her helmet off. Take the shot. <laughs> They're not going to risk yes. contaminating the entire site, yeah. bringing back God knows what disease. Yep. I feel like, as much as I hate to say this, before she got that helmet off, or as soon as she got the helmet off, they'd have put a bullet in her head, and everybody else would have went out of there. Or at the very least, they would have tackled her down and been like, all right, you're not coming back in. Oh, yeah, not just that, There's but a yeah, real yeah. good chance that if you are on an alien ship in an alien atmosphere, knowing that it could have God knows what bacteria, look what the COVID virus did, that we had no ability yeah, for... an alien well, virus yeah, that we have no way alien of virus. Oh, vice versa, where you're like, congratulations, you have now exterminated Infected. the human yeah. race because you managed to give them the cold, and they took it as an attack. That's Congratulations, right. we That's are now thing. dead. You've killed the aliens. Yeah, and they are now nuking us from orbit because you managed to give them the cold. Yeah. Thanks, lady. So, yeah, when you said the military operation is a little shoddy, yeah, she is not, 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 not getting that helmet off in there. All right. Well, well uh, also, technically speaking, the helmet is not that easy to take off, but no. that's another whole rip and pick. You where just have we go. to roll with that one. Yeah, so, you, their, their decon is a little iffy. It's yeah, like a car so. wash almost. So there's there's two more little points I'll make, and then we're gonna land this uh, <coughs> alien spacecraft. So, you mean hover what? this aircraft? Yes. <laughs> so it uh, feels like we've been recording for three hours, but that was because we had a massive <laughs> cluster bleep of a problem pre-show. Yeah, and it's still going on. So anyway, <laughs> uh, the first one is I like it's a pick. I like that they show how long it took to translate. Because it would take a long time to get even just the word the. And the way she's bringing up things like, well, we got to cover introductions. Tool could also mean, weapon could also mean tool. It depends on their culture. It depends on this. Yeah, exactly. Well, not so, you, you're absolutely right. Because even translating between human languages it's is a pain. It's hard. It's it, awful. But trying to get some other language 
especially that doesn't interpret time the same way. Oh, that's That terrible. is just, I mean, it's like, oh, at least with humans, we all kind of have some basis where we're like, yeah. Yeah, if I up, say die. down, ground, you know, this. Yeah, you know, die. Someone knows what die is. Right. It, it might mean slightly different. There might be some other cultural significance mm-hmm. to it or so, spiritual or, and, and it's like day, night. We got that. Yeah, Understood. Got it. But, but them, the, they're it's like, what's night? Uh, well, do they understand time cycles that we do? Do we? Yeah. They, well, obviously she asked not. a big question. Would they even understand or comprehend a why question? Right. Well, so, I mean, there are cultures that don't understand uh, I. Right. So like that's myself. the kind of stuff you're going to mess up with it. So, And the final one is the heptapods look a lot like the octopus from... Um, Ed Wood's movie, Bride of the Monster. <laughs> That's the one where okay. it was a giant octopus that was in a room, and they it was supposed to be in a tank, but they didn't have the mechanical arms, and they couldn't afford to get an actor in the in a water tank, so they just dropped it in a room, and had the pushed the actor into it, and he had to fake like he was getting killed by it by flailing the tentacles around. It was quite hilarious. But with that in mind. Let's bring this thing to a rating. How many heptapods do we give this thing out of 10? And I'm going to give this a nice solid 10, not just because I'm biased towards Denis, but also it gave us these wonderful little talking points again. There's not a lot to hate. Yeah, there's some nitpicky things, you know, particularly with how the military is portrayed, but I can't really get mad at a Canadian director for not getting the U.S. military right. Um, And honestly, it wasn't like the movie The Hurt Locker that was some journalist writing it going, this is the most accurate army movie ever. No, it's not. An IED expert is not a sniper. No, no. They are not going to pick up a sniper and do better sniping than an SAS. It's just not going to happen. And by the way, an SAS throwing a tire iron is not going to lose it in the desert unless they throw it into quicksand. They're just going to walk over and pick up the tire wrench. They're not that dumb. So, no. Um, Sorry, I just had to rant about that movie for a minute. I Uh, see. That an an IED expert would not pick up a giant cord with six bombs and go, There! I'm going to pull on this! And now let's hope it doesn't go off! Sci-fi melody, symptom 229, the Hurt Locker. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I'm willing to forgive that stuff because of all the other good parts that are in this film. And one of the things I didn't mention, too, is I like the fact that it shows the international response. Yeah, it's focused on Montana, sure. But it shows that these are everywhere. and like Montana? Montana. <laughs> and it shows the fact that it was actually the Pakistani crew that broke the code. It wasn't the Americans or the Chinese. It was this Pakistan football people. They just had a linguist that nailed it. And, and, but it also depicts the good parts of when things start to go awry. Everybody just kind of shuts off and centralizes yeah. and backs off because they're all scared. Uh-huh. So, 10. All right. Um, I will say, I don't know if I can give it a 10. Uh I will take a point off for being in Montana. <laughs> yeah, it's better than Montana. <laughs> I'm going just messing with you, but um, I I don't know if I can give it a perfect ten. 
I think I'm going to give it a 9.5 only because it's a good film. It's a fantastic film. The only way I can take reason I take points off of it, it's not really rewatchable as at least for me. Okay. Okay, that's fair. It's one of those films where I've seen it and if there's nothing else, I, I will definitely watch it again because it's good. But it's not one of my top films where I'm like, oh, yes, The Arrival is on. I want to watch that again. No, it's good. It got its point across, but it's not like a bingeable, watchable movie over and over. Okay. Just for me. I can't take anything away from, from this film. I can't come up with anything to criticize. The acting is fantastic. Direction's fantastic. The score does what it's supposed to. The cinematography's great. You've got excellent use of setting and, and uh, surroundings to create mood. You've got um, <clears throat> a lot of meaning, a lot of things to discuss here, and things that weren't shown to you in absolutes that this is the correct way, this is the wrong way. It shows you both the dystopian potential of humanity and the utopian potential of humanity. It does a lot of these things. Um, and it does everything a science fiction film is supposed to do. And if I was, you know, like I've said before with Data's Cat Spot, um, or with Data's Poetry, where he writes a poem about Spot that is um, perfect in form of story and form and structure, um, this film is probably perfect in, in that regard. I will rate it a 9 because there's something about it that it's excellent. But at times I was like, come on, let's get to the ending here. We've discussed the material that we have and let's move the pacing lagged a bit. And as Thomas said, I would rewatch it. And I don't think it'll be the last time I ever watch it. But it's not something that's going to be a film that I'm like, oh, Arrival's on. Like, you know, I still see Die Hard. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Die Hard's on. I'm stopping and watching <laughs> Die Hard. And in, in all ways, shapes, and forms, Arrival is a better movie than Die Hard. But if you put the two together and they're on two channels, which one am I going to watch? You know, so I, I guess this is that contradiction you get when you're, when you're you know, critiquing things is – how do you critique it? I'll give it a 9. It's an excellent film. I feel it was worth watching. I would say everyone should watch it, and I think that I wish more films were done this way with more substance to it. So, definitely a good way to kick off First Contact February. Oh, I also wanted to say, listening back to last week's episode, Timeless, I thought I said Garrett Wong, but I definitely did say Carrot Wong can act. <laughs> Oh, good. I, I, I thought I was the only one who I heard you carrot. crap for Mantana, so I have to <laughs> yeah. come back and admit that I said Carrot Wong. <laughs> good to know that both Garrett and Carrot Wong can act. So Apparently, just, none of us are able to English correctly, so no. we English very well. So That's what happens when, when you, you have 11 teeth removed and you don't replace them. You start to sound so. like Sylvester the Cat. Shufferin's <laughs> shark attack. So, uh, anyway, so... Just a heads up, uh, what's coming up on Raving Lunatic Media, or what has just been released. Uh, Ruck o and Shane over at Cold Case Chase have just released an episode just this week. Uh, so check that out. They're in a new format, and it's a lot of fun, actually. They give the facts, and then they kind of comment. It's a neat new change-up for their new season. Of course, we'll get a new case of the chills coming out soon. Uh, also, ZTF just dropped this week with its latest episode, The Vault, written by our wonderful Shane, who I must say, as one of the writers who knows what's going to happen on this show, the ending still caused my jaw to hit the floor. 
the way he writes endings blows your mind so tune in for that sickies also look out for some other new interesting develops coming up with that we'll be having a new special episode this month coming up for ztf which uh i'm particularly proud of i think it's one of my better ones but that's just me actually being arrogant i'm sorry and but tune into that and anything else going on at raving lunatic media which you can do at www.chainwaysforcelobotomycap.com no, we're not going with that sponsor. RavingLunaticMedia.com or RavingLunaticMedia.com or RavingLunaticMedia.com. And if you know what, if you were here, what? Blah, blah, blah. I had a better www.fake email address that I will not say on mic, but Mark and Thomas will get to know. Rangemaster! Oh, no. What's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. What you gonna do, sickies, when Malady Mania... Runs wild on you, brother. Put some pants on. citizens. I am Major General Capricorn. It is with the heaviest of hearts and the utmost of urgency that I bring you this message. Forget it. We have a job to do. You little glorbag. bag. For many years we have lived in peace and harmony with only the Clorduck Rangers to watch over us. Jason, you can't say no offense and then say something offensive. That's not how it works. Up here, I'm the magic man. However, times have changed. There is a looming threat over our people. The forces of Starkron have already begun their conquest as we speak. Come along, Dregs. We must not keep Starkron waiting. Soon, the entire galaxy will be mine. When this is all over, everyone will know the name of the Anomaly. We are asking for anyone brave enough to fight against this threat to come to the capital. Top turret, armed! We can use our magic. We killed people. We will be holding training there. If you would like to help fight for your planet, then come. <laughs> we can crush them. Welcome back to the world of the living. Before you go, there's one more lesson. I am death. And your reputation is still on the line. Buckle up, buttercups. I am the devil returning alive. You can feel its power coursing through him. I am Starkron! I call upon the Zodiac! Leo King of I see you have successfully completed your mission. Great job, team.
Oh, come on, General. Did you really have any doubts? Come on, give me a little fist bump. Actually, you know what? Judging by your face, I say you did have a few doubts. Guessing it's in the me department.